This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So for me, part of my prayer around what New Church Live is, is creating a space where it is a thin space, where people come, are able to show up here and feel a connection to God, because somehow that gap is closed and it's like he's right here. And then for me, folding that out, I think the goal of religion in some ways is just helping people experience that connection a connection that can grow deeper and deeper, that God can be more consciously present throughout one's life. What I'd like to do, if I could, I'd like to read a story from the Psalms. It's actually not a story, it's just a psalm, which is an old ancient poem. And it's a poem about connection and about uh, where God is. It goes like this. O Lord... Our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, you who have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. And I'm just going to say that that could be translated, you have made him a little lower than God. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So for me, that psalm is a reminder of a God moment. And what I like to do is just ask you, you're going to go back to this old system that we had before, uh, text Dave, and if you accidentally text Chuck, that'll be great too, because he'll get a cool text while he's on vacation, if his phone is on. But text Dave a God moment that you have had, some time that stands out for you in your life, where God has showed up, where something has happened in the midst of maybe your own chaos or general chaos or chaos that had nothing to do with your intentionality that just showed up in your life and suddenly God is there doing something big. So if you wouldn't mind just texting that, we're going to come back to that a little bit later in the service, but take a moment and and just see, um, think about that and send it along. I think we have it, yeah, we got it up there. While we're doing that, I'm just going to tell you a little brief story about my own. I, I, I was thinking about this, what are ways, standout ways God has showed up in my life? And, and one that comes to mind over and over again for me is when I turned 18 years old, so I have a midsummer birthday. I was on school break, and I was out in the back country of Wyoming, up high. It was above the tree line, and here it is, my birthday. I happened to have a horrendous head cold, and I think I was running a fever at that time, and, and I needed to be walking because I was like six days out from where my cars were and all that stuff, and way out in the wilderness. 
So I had this head cold, I was feeling terrible, I'm trudging along this trail, and the, the area I'm in is completely socked in, so you couldn't see more than 50 yards in front of you. No trees, really hard to navigate, and literally I'm walking through this grassy hill from one pile of stones to the next, and you get to the one pile and you just look around, and out of the mist you can kind of see the next pile, and it was a way to move forward. So it was really interesting how like short-sighted that felt. And I was just feeling like really completely wrapped into my own kind of misery at that point. So walking that way after a while, I came down into a hill and it was just enough of a hill that I got just below the clouds. So the clouds, like they, the, the valley I was in went up back into the clouds on all sides of me. And so as I'm walking, following these piles of stones, all of a sudden I hear this thundering. Like, what is this? And I look around, and this magnificent herd of elk come running out of the clouds at full speed. They run down through the valley where I am just alone. Over a hundred elk go thundering through the valley, come down and up and out the other side. And I'm like, wow, that is a God moment just connected with nature. Anyway, just one of those cool things, and it helped me kind of realign to what my own personal life is all about, and I never forgot that, thinking, yeah, God just gave me a pretty awesome birthday present, so that was cool. So one of the other ways, and we're going to look at a number of ways that God comes in and touches us, and I'll look at the text in a minute, but I wanted to invite Emily Sexton up, and she's going to describe their God moment with their daughter. Hello. And that's Maggie down there with the shiny, the beautiful shiny shoes and their dog, Philly. Come on up. Oh, boy. Yeah, those are steep stairs. Come on over. Sit over here or up here? Yeah, I had two chairs set up. I'm going to go grab a couple more chairs. So okay. why don't you sit and you can start your story. I'll grab okay. a couple of chairs. Let's get Philly situated. So I'm not very good at public speaking. I have some notes here and my husband Tim with me for some moral support um, and to keep an eye on these two. The two babies. The two babies. Two years ago, just about two years ago, um, next week it'll be, Maggie was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Um, At the time, we had no idea what type 1 was. When we were in CHOP and she was diagnosed, we quickly learned that type 1 was nothing like type 2, what is portrayed in the media and most people know. Um, It's not something that can be fixed with diet or exercise. It's actually an autoimmune disease. Her body mistakenly attacked her pancreas, causing it to not work. Um, And once that happens, the pancreas will never work again. So um, now she's on an insulin pump. They're being super cute for you. (laughs) Um, She's on an insulin pump. She has to get insulin infused 24-7. And she wears um, a continuous glucose monitor in her, today it's in her arm. Um, That actually shows us the trends of her blood sugar. and it gives us a reading of her blood sugar every five minutes so we don't have to prick her finger as much. Um, 
see, I got through all these cards already. Um, so the technology isn't perfect. Um, it's pretty awesome, but it's not perfect. Um, about a year after her diagnosis, we heard about the diabetic alert dog. Um, they're just like, they're not as popular as seeing eye dogs. Most people know seeing eye dogs. Um, they're more visible in the community, I guess. Um, but diabetic alert dogs are becoming more popular and more well-known. They are able to sense and smell um, exact changes in blood sugars. So Philly alerts um, to under 80 blood sugar and above 180 blood sugar. Um, she can actually often, all the dogs, not just Philly, can smell it up to 20 minutes before it even happens. So she's literally a lifesaver. Um, I was fascinated to learn about these dogs and uh, started doing more research to see if there were trainers in the area, um, where, how we could get her one, if we even wanted to explore that option and get her one. So, um, and after much research, we narrowed it down to two um, trainers in the area, one of which was the only one who agreed to let me meet the dog before we applied for her online. Um, there's a long application process. So this was a trainer at University of Penn. Um, her name is Libby, and she was at the time training Philly. You're okay. She's going to alert. I think. Yeah, this is her alert pawing me, so Dad can take care of that while I'm talking. We're watching. <laughs> We're checking her. Yeah. So right now, um, she's sensing something's going on, so Tim's going to check her blood sugar. Her, her alert is to paw, um, and sometimes she holds this in her mouth, too, to, if I'm not paying attention to the pawing, wow. um, to let me know, Mom, check her. So, uh, so we met Libby last August. It was a year ago um, last August, and we got to meet Philly. At the time, she was only, um, what was it, Tim, like six weeks old, eight weeks old, six or eight weeks old. So she was still a puppy. She still is pretty young. Um, our intention at that time was just to um, meet a diabetic alert dog in person, to see the interaction between Philly and Maggie, and to ask a lot of questions. Um, we had no idea at the time the connection that would happen between this toddler and this puppy. Um, it was pretty incredible, and all of us recognized it um, immediately. So, but during that meeting, Libby was completely open and honest with us. She, she had never placed a dog with a toddler before. So we had that going against us. Um, besides that, there's a number of factors that goes into placing a service dog with a family. And Philly was still young. So um, just because Maggie was a toddler, that wasn't, I didn't take that as a reason why we couldn't get the dog. I was persistent. I contacted her pretty often, right? like kept in touch with her, almost like bugging her. Like we, there was that connection between the dog. I, I, I we want to meet again. So we did. Um, the next few, few weeks we met a couple more times and each meeting went a little better. So Libby, the trainer, recognized this as well. And from there she set up a couple um, trial training sessions with us. So that was going on the next few months. Um, finally, when Philly was old enough, um, it was sometime around Thanksgiving, uh, November Thanksgiving, I believe, um, when she was old enough and she proved that she could work for this girl, this toddler in our family, and she was mature enough and her temperament was good enough, we were finally matched. So we found out around November that we were a match and Philly would be our service dog, our Maggie service dog. Um, so then reality set in and we're like, okay, insurance doesn't pay for this dog, these dogs can range anywhere from $12,000 to $25,000. Wow. 
so how the heck were we going to do this? But we knew we would do anything um, that we had to do to, to make sure that, that she was going to be ours. So at that point, we, we gave the deposit for her. We're like, okay, we'll do that. She's ours. We'll figure it out. Um, our intention was we'd save money and um, we'd do a T-shirt fundraiser, which we did. Uh, but as soon as people started getting word of we were of that we were a match and that we were trying to get this dog for Maggie, um, so many incredible people stepped up and wanted to help us. Um, we had friends and family um, just wanted to make sure wanted to see Philly come home with us as well. So um, that's when a beef and beer was planned. Um, everything from the hall to the entertainment, to the food, to the help, um, raffles, every, it was an absolutely incredible. was taken care of by friends and family. We had anonymous donors who, they didn't know us, they heard our story, they thought it was pretty great, and um, between the event that we had and the anonymous donor, um, and donations from friends and family, and our savings, and our t-shirt sale, we raised enough money for Philly. So, um, that happened, when was that, February maybe? So since then we, um, con we trained continuously with her. It was a gradual transition into our family. Um, Philly, we would train with Philly uh, a couple times a week. She started coming um, for a week at a time and she finally came home to be with us forever um, a few weeks ago in June. Oh wow. So she's our dog and she's Maggie's wow. dog now. Um, it's pretty amazing. So that's our story. <laughs> I think I said everything. Thank you. Right? Is that your girl? Yeah. So does Philly ever smell somebody else's blood sugar issues? She does. So when she was training, um, we would use saliva samples from Maggie, um, mm -hmm. and she would use them from her trainer to, to learn the blood sugar ranges. But now that she's with us, she smells other people, like even... Um, uh, we could be low, um, even if you're not type one, but um, she doesn't get rewarded for anyone but Maggie. Right. So she's learning now, she only gets those yummy treats for Mag. And, and the her. cuteness of the dog wasn't a part of the package. <laughs> she is super cute, and it's hard for sit. Good girl. It's hard for people to resist, resist petting her, too. <laughs> she is so adorable. But um, when she's working, she has her vest on, and that's when. Um, People should not touch, but any other time they can, right? So, so what were some of those God moments, just to kind of clarify and summarize? Yeah, people coming out and just wanting to see our family and Maggie have this happen. So people. people wanting this so much yeah. for us as much as we wanted it. That is so wonderful. Yeah, well, it well, is, it was. Thank you all so much thank for you. sharing your story with us today. Good it's call. really moving. Thank you. Thanks. That is so cool. That is really, really awesomely cool. And Olivia, one of their other daughters, is going to give us another little gift toward the end of the service. Aren't you, Olivia? Yes. I just wanted to share a couple of these God moments that are coming in on my phone right now. Uh, oh, uh, recently having my two-and-a-half-year-old crash badly on her scooter a quarter of a mile from our house, and um, it's a little bit of a long story here, but 
overwhelmed with gratitude and love for the sense and power and innocent of God's quiet but constant presence even in crisis. Isn't it kind of amazing how God often wait? I mean, he doesn't wait. It's not that he waits at all, but it's like all of a sudden there's a crisis that comes up that scrapes away that thickness between us and that, that barrier between us and God. And all of a sudden, because something really urgent is going on, that gets scraped away. And there we see it's almost face-to-face with God. I think that that's kind of amazing. Another one, well, my father was in his last 48 hours of his life. While I was next to him with, his eyes cl- with my eyes closed, God gave me a vision of him that my mom, who had already passed away, was on the way to take him home to heaven. That is so, so sweet. Whenever I hear a child laugh, when I dream about my grandma on the other side and uh, the birth of my five grandchildren, obviously, wonderful. All these things are, are different ways that we come face to face with God. So going back a little bit to this universe motif, I wanted to read another um, little story for you. And this actually is a story part of the Bible. It comes from, from Genesis. And I love this character, Abram, who later has his name changed to Abraham because he's such a bargainer. A bunch of these early characters are like, they're, they're going to have a conversation with God. If God isn't treating them in the way they would quite like to be treated, they're going to have a little discussion with him on the side, which I always think is kind of funny. But uh, here is one of those discussions, and the reason I read this, I think, will be obvious. So after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing that I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my... One... You've not given me yeah, any in my offspring who would be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, The one who is in your household is not your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside, and he said, Look, now toward heaven, count the stars if you are able, and number them. And he said, So shall your descendants be. And Abram believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Go out and count the stars. See if you can number them. So will your descendants be. And that is a metaphor. It's not a, it's not a metaphor about how many children are you going to have, and isn't it great that you have a gigantic family, which, you know, in the very, very external sense, well, yeah, sure, that was the dialogue that was going on with Abram. But that's not the meaning for us as human, as human beings. The meaning of this really is, what is the fruit of your relationship that you have with God? What are the different ways that he can bless you? Look at the stars. 
look at the stars and see them. So I come back to this universe metaphor. And there's a passage in the writings for our church that says that the universe is the image of God. Think about that for a minute. The universe is the image of God. And go out some night when it's dark, when the city lights aren't, you know, obscuring the sky. So you're up in the mountains somewhere. It's a clear night. It's a dry night so that you can see. And there's the Milky Way, which is our galaxy. And then you look out and you can see other galaxies and you can see millions of stars. And the sun, which shines in the day, is just one of those millions of stars. So I think the metaphor here around this is, here we are as human beings. And right now, we're in a room with a roof over it, and the lights are turned out. I can't say, look up and see the stars, because you don't see them there. We have our pictures that we're putting up on the board here that you get some. These are from the Hubble telescope, by the way. But you can't just look up and see them because they are obscured. And yet the point is, every last one of them is there right now. It's shining. Each one of those stars is shining its light. And there's a radiation, a light radiation, coming from every last one of those stars. And it is affecting us. In small ways, it's, it's affecting us. It's impacting us. It is present in our lives. It's a part of the context of our lives, even though we might be focused on whatever's going on in our, in this room or in our room or on our phone or at work or whatever, and that we are kind of separated because our conscious attention has drawn us away from the universe. That doesn't mean it's not there shining into our lives. So the sun is a representative of God's love. But if you think of each one of those stars, it's like a quality of love that is shining in from God, available for us 24-7, always, always, always present with us, there for us, inspiring us, keeping us alive, lifting us up, and leaving, leading us forward. All we have to do is see it. And that's true when there are storms in our lives. That's true when it's like the world is covered with pollution or the atmosphere around us is dense and thick with pollution. But it's also there in those times when, like, the veil is thin and we can see right in. So the, the metaphor for me is if God is there imaged by the universe, that means what God's gifts are for us. The different kinds of qualities of the love that shows up in our lives. Our, our, our way of finding leadership and navigation through life. The, the different flavors of the way we are able to interact with people, insights that we have, those aha moments, all of those things are like the life that shines in from the universe, from God, into our lives. Human beings are just receivers. 
All we do in life is we just receive and reflect. Receive and reflect. And that life is God's life. If it's, if it's worth anything, it's God's life. So the love that we receive is God's love. I did a wedding yesterday, and I was thinking about this and thinking about the couple, and, uh, you know, they've shared their story with me. They met, and uh, they met just, you know, in these random circumstances, and all of a sudden they recognize there's this little chemistry that they have. How cool is that? And then over years of time together, that little chemistry, that little interest turns into kind of full-blown, full-out love that they have for each other. But that love, well, it's, it's their brand of love. It's a quality that they share with each other that's unique because of the two of them. It is not their love. That love is from God. And it's God with them it's God shining into their life together, doing something magic, magical and unique and incredibly powerful. But it's like, again, the light from the universe shining into a couple's life. It's not theirs, but it's received by them and it's a gift that they can use and they can be blessed with. What I like to do is invite the band to come out for the next song <clears throat> and as they come out I'd just like the, you to reflect on this here's a passage from New Church Theology it says the universe is a stage in which proofs are constantly being demonstrated that God exists so thinking back to that universe metaphor here we have all these examples, and I think really the story that the Sextons told is another story. Here's, it's one of these universal proofs. Well, God has to exist if this happened. How on earth can a dog smell blood sugar? That's ridiculous. And yet, amazingly, it, it all works. So, um, before we start this, I just want to point out that I think the reason we gather as a church and we talk about this stuff is because there's so many times in life where we are not feeling it, you know, where we're feeling alone, we're feeling left out, we're wondering, well, why do they get to feel God and experience this wonderful relationship with God, and yet it's just not happening with me. I'm just feeling totally, you know, left behind or I'm feeling stuck in my own ego or, or whatever. And after the song, I want to talk a little bit about that because that also is part of the human existence and that is something that we have to process and deal with throughout our life. So Psalm 145 has all these little gems in it. And one of those gems is this. It says, well, the Lord is good to all. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Really, that is a true encapsulation summary of who and what God is, love itself. And he is, with all his goodness, striving to flow into every one of us all the time with love and with mercy. And, and so then there are these times when I feel like, except me. The Lord is good to all, well, except me. 
His tender mercies aren't over my life because why am I being punished this way, you know? <laughs> and, and it comes up, you know. I was thinking, wow, there was this time in work. It was maybe seven or eight years ago, right in the middle of this economic crash, and we were going through a lot of reconfiguration and a lot of cutting, and, and I was miserable because of all this difficulty that was going on at work. And I went to bed thinking, I just don't feel it. You know, here I am supposed to be a, a minister. And I'm not, I'm feeling nothing but darkness. And I was really worked up about this, went to bed, and you know, I'm lying in bed, and I hear, ba-thump, 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 just waiting to go to sleep, and it's not happening. It's like, all right, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray until I have a vision. I'm just going to start to pray. And I start praying and praying and praying, and a couple hours go by, and I'm like, I'm not seeing anything. I'm just seeing darkness. <laughs> I'm just seeing the clock, you know, the, our little red, uh, uh, you know, the numbers on our, our digital clock go to the next one, to the next one. I, where are you, God? Come on. And I prayed, like, as hard as I could, and waiting and waiting and waiting, and then I felt like, oh, maybe there was a glimmer of warm glow. It's like, well, that's enough for me. That's enough for me. And actually, that, that, that did feel like a little bit of a message. And there, there's a little principle, I think, at work here. And it's, it's, again, it's captured in one of our um, theological books. And it, this comes from the book True Christianity, where it says, the earthly self cannot comprehend anything of God. Just think about that for a minute. The earthly self, when we're, when we're down in, like in the dirt, our noses are in the dirt because of whatever, and it could be, it could be kind of false desires, it could be longing to do something that's destructive, it could be something that just is purely material, or it could just be that we are preoccupied with trying to solve material issues like what I was preoccupied by that night I was lying awake. And in that space, it really thickens the veil and it makes it very difficult to perceive and have a sense that God is really working with us. So that's a little bit of a principle, I think, that's illustrated by that, that uh, terrible prayer experience that I had. Um, and... There are lots of times when that comes up. And some of it is just, you know, because we're working really hard and we don't make that space. And some of it is because we're really chasing after things that are, frankly, just purely materialistic in nature. And there's no benefit in that. There's going to be no benefit because it's not taking us in a way that is going to be productive. There's a quote, and I'm going to summarize it from C.S. Lewis, but I think it's great, where he says, wow, if God answered all of the silly prayers that I asked, do you have any idea where I would be now? Um, like the idea of, no, actually, you know, those prayers aren't being answered. It's like chasing after something that is dead and... Well, it's dead. That's why God isn't granting it. It's because it's completely dead and it's going to kill you. So you've got to change. You've got to shift. You've got to look for something different. 
So I could say there's a real simple kind of solution, which would be go outside at night. And you could take this metaphorically, go outside, try to clear out that atmosphere and look up and behold, like Abram was there, go out and look at the stars, count them if you can. Behold, this is an encompassing of all the different ways God is seeking to bless you right now. But that takes effort. And I have an even simpler solution for you. And this is what I I find really helpful because so much of our life is involved in just, you know, figuring out material things that don't really feel all that spiritual. And yet we can, through life, come to kind of resonate, come in harmony with God while we're dealing with those things, while our mind is actually actively trying to solve these things. And I like this quotation also from New Church Theology. And it says this, If you want to find God, focus on the present moment, focus on the present moment, but for eternal purposes. You get that? You hear what I'm saying there? Focus on the present moment. Take a moment while you're working, focus on what's in front of you, whatever that is, even if it's just doing the laundry or weeding the garden or whatever, you know, that really physical, external yuck that you're trying to take care of. Focus on that, yet try to focus on it in a way that you're shifting something, that you're bringing something of God's eternity, something of that universal light into life in your surrounding while you're working on that. And just watch what happens. Another principle simply is this. Well, God works through human agency. That's why he created all of us so that he can work through us and accomplish his miracles in human ways through us as we seek to interact with each other in positive ways that reflect his love. So it's not that God is suddenly going to show up here and there he is saying, thus saith I, go this way. Although sometimes he pretty much does that, at least in my experience. But more typically... God is present in those simple external actions where people are just loving each other in very, very simple external ways. And what I've found, and this is maybe just Dave's theory here, but when we focus on what's in front of us for eternal purposes, it, it's like it tunes our God radar And what happens is, so our God radar, which was initially just focused on, you know, trying to become great or wealthy or whatever, or trying to show the world how important and smart we are, instead of doing that, it starts reorienting and it looks up at the, the universe like the Hubble, and all of a sudden we see these magnificent pictures that we were just simply unaware of before, simply because we're going through that routine, because we're trying to bring something that's eternal, something that's universal into life by dealing with whatever is on our plate. 
Actually, you know, to the Sextons, I love this story. And one of the reasons I love this story so much is people get type 1 diabetes. God did not cause type 1 diabetes in Maggie. No way. You know, I'll never accept that. It's just the way that the world works, right? It's not something, I mean, you can find, I'm sure you guys have been angry over it at times, like, why did you do this, or what's going on, and all that. But, But when you get right down to it, it's a physical issue, and you just have to deal with it. And in the dealing of it, all these magnificent things have happened, and you've been touched by many, many people in very specific and tender and gentle and, I would say, eternal ways. It's like looking up, seeing a sky that you didn't notice before, and all of a sudden there are these different beautiful lights shining into your life that you hadn't noticed before. And the news for you is, well, you have all of these ways of sharing that with other people, that you have your special starlight ways of interacting with other people and and lifting people up and, and helping them in part, you couldn't do that without the situation that you're in now. And I still think it's an absolute miracle that a dog can sniff a human being's blood sugar. That just absolutely blows me away. So, yeah. Pass that along to the trainer, please. That's just incredible. So that is, an, yeah, just another little God moment. So what we're doing, before we close, now we get another actual little special thing. Olivia, are you ready to come up? Where are you? Oh, come on up. Sorry, it's a little dark. Come on up. So Olivia, the sexton's daughter, she's going to dance for us. Isn't that sweet? And she is a wonderful dancer. I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. Uh, Before she does it, though, I want you to think about the dance, because what I've been talking about is you you focus on what's in front of you. You focus on that which is time bound. You focus on that which is material. You focus on the steps of the dance. You focus on listening and you focus, but you focus for the purpose of what? For the purpose of eternity, for the purpose of articulating something that's eternal. I think that a dance is a beautiful illustration of this. So while she's dancing, just monitor what you are feeling while you're enjoying that dance. Because what you're feeling, I guarantee, is not some manufactured, physical, materialistic thing. It is the light of God. So let's go with that. Let me move my things out of the way. All right. There's a song that's inside of my soul. It's the one that I've tried to write over and over again I'm awake in the infinite cold 
Was I right? Yes, I thought so. So my prayer for you today is that you feel that connection. And maybe it's just that little glimmering like I was praying, just a little bit of light. Maybe it's this full-blown, absolute incredible presence. Maybe it's just recognizing, hey, that feeling, that feeling of enjoyment is God. It's a gift from God. But I think uh, part of what we are trying to do at New Church Live is help people discover and grow that connection with God so that they can reach out as lights themselves, lifting others up and giving them life, sharing that life with others. So I'm going to come down for our closing prayer. And we're going to pray down here. I'd like to invite, if the sections, if you would like to come up and join me, we'll have the closing prayer on the... Whoa. Yes. <laughs> on the floor. Let's come on over. Ooh. Oh, I'm not allowed to... Thank you. <laughs> All right.
Lord, we just thank you for gathering us together today. We thank you for the ways you're constantly shining in our lives. We thank you for the small miracles, and we thank you for the big, like this incredible dog. We ask, Lord, that you lift us up on a path that draws us so that we are consciously feeling closer to you, knowing that you're with us always, lifting us up and giving us peace. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.